Truth Espresso, episode 228. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hello there, friends, family, foes, lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick. I have with me my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host once again, Chelsea, to join me. And we have been talking about revivals in history. We were going through the Great Awakening, but we're going to take a little break from that for this week so that we can talk about a recent thing that we noticed on the news and then to kind of elaborate on some of that. So it involves the devices of Satan. There is an organization called the Satanic Temple, and it doesn't claim to believe in a literal Satan, but Satan can use people like that to do his bidding. Sweetheart, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for chatting with me each week here on Truth Espresso. And so you brought this up to me. What's going on with the Satanic Temple in, in our home state of Colorado recently? They're going after kids in schools, basically trying to, in some sense, proselytize them. Now, I know that they claim that they don't proselytize people, but you can't not proselytize them with an organization like the Satanic Temple. Right. So the Satanic Temple has these after-school Satan clubs, are what they're called, and they are starting these clubs at schools that specifically have religious clubs already in place. And typically those clubs are through the Christian Evangelism Fellowship. They're called Good News Clubs. And the purpose that Lucian Greaves, he's the like founder, yeah. basically. <laughs> he's the current leader of the Satanic Temple. Yeah. Yeah. So he said that their goal is to get these clubs in schools that have the Christian-based clubs, basically to give an alternative to parents so parents don't feel like they're forced to put their children in these Christian-based clubs that they can choose to put them in the satanic-based clubs. So there are currently three states so far that have these clubs Illinois, Ohio, and now this last week, the first one in Colorado here opened in a small little town called Poinia, we're thinking is how that's pronounced. Um, So it's kind of in the southern, southwest region of Colorado here. So the little town of Poinia there, I saw it had just over a thousand people in population. So one of those rinky-dink towns is going to be, you know, a target of the Satanic Temple. Yeah, in, uh, I was listening to an interview with Lucian Greaves and just read a few different articles too that talk about why they're trying to start these clubs and basically their premise is that if government allows faith-based like more of the Christian-based type clubs to be at a school then they should also allow any other religion there including 
satanic clubs as well. So just very interesting, but also something that we need to be aware of that's happening and going on. And there's just a strong fervor in this group to try and get these clubs in as many schools as possible to combat any Christian beliefs that are being taught. And I think that this is kind of where it's a nice break from our talk on the Great Awakening, but also to the point of we need that Mm -hmm. Great Awakening. Mm -hmm. We need that revival in Christianity because we're allowing these clubs to come in and teach children that there's no absolutes, that there's no God that it's okay to hate their parents and hate their teachers, but somehow at the same time, they're supposed to be loving and just allow anything and everything. It's quite confusing. But I mean, we have got to take a stand with what is happening here. And I think with it being such a spiritual battle too, and I think you had some information to bring up about the history of this and how that can help us understand where this group is coming from. Yeah, so when we refer to the Satanic Temple, we're referring to a specific modern organization. So there are multiple organizations that would claim to be Satanic, and for different reasons, but obviously Satan doesn't only work one way. He works many ways, as people believe, oh, there's many ways to get to God. Well, Jesus says broad is the way that leads to destruction, so Satan isn't trying to promote a very specific religion. Basically, he just wants to be the anti-truth, and the anti-truth can be very broad, but the Satanic Temple, the modern organization, seems to be the one that's most recognized now because one of their goals is to be politically active. There are private Satanic groups that don't really have any kind of political ambitions, but the Satanic Temple differs from that. So, what is the Satanic Temple? And, sweetheart, you mentioned the name Lucian Greaves. Obviously, you could see from the name Lucian that it seemed to me like a follower of Lucifer or something, you know, one who belongs to Lucifer. Lucian Greaves, the current president of it, and someone named Malcolm Jerry founded this organization in 2013. And you mentioned faith-based. So the goal that these two had in creating the Satanic Temple was in a response to the whole faith-based organization concept under President George W. Bush. George W. Bush was trying to promote the idea of giving federal funds to partner with so-called faith-based organizations you know, they would mostly be Christian in some way. And to like, okay, if you have some kind of Christian charity or nonprofit or something, this is a way to grant federal money to them to help them out and help them influence society. And so, yeah, that's another debatable topic as to whether that kind of arrangement should happen, you know. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, the Satanic Temple was founded with the idea of, okay, we're opposing this by trying to infiltrate in a way. Well, faith-based organization, maybe we can create something that could qualify under the letter of the law. 
supposedly, you know, Lucy and Greaves didn't really like the idea of federal funding, but hey, maybe we can kind of demonstrate absurdity by being absurd in the viewpoint there. So creating the satanic temple and trying to claim, hey, we qualify, right? You know, everything we do, we're claiming to be a religious organization. We're faith-based, even though the satanic temple does not promote the idea of a literal Satan. In some ways, it's intended to be in jest, but... It's about Satan itself. Like, this is Satanism as we would envision it as an ideology for personal living. But we're going to claim that it's a faith and it's a faith based organization. So, hey, we should have every kind of religious privilege afforded by law. So, they start in 2013. They actually got their official headquarters in 2016 in. Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> now, if you recognize Salem, you know, of course, you know, historically speaking, you know, I, I didn't see anything mentioned that, but it kind of stood out to me. Wait, was this intentional because of the history of the Salem witch trials? They're like snubbing the nose at the history there by having the headquarters of the Satanic Temple in Salem, Massachusetts. I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but nevertheless, there it is. So basically, the official headquarters is a small Victorian-style house that they, of course, once they purchased it and made it the headquarters, they painted it in kind of a chalky, dark gray color to kind of signify Satanism. Now, I mentioned that the Satanic Temple, Lucian Greaves, claims not to believe in, and the organization's intent is not to promote the idea of any kind of literal personal Satan. There are Satanic religions that do that, so like you'd call it theistic Satanism, and normally that's where theistic Satanism is to try to get a personal experience with a personal Satan through witchcraft, magic, arts, and such. The Satanic Temple, being a secular humanistic organization, isn't to be confused with that. Now, of course, we're not going to say, oh, well, that makes them better, as we'll explain with the devices of Satan here. Whether an organization acknowledges a personal devil or not doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things and doesn't really matter to the devil who exists. It's all for the same end goals. There was a 19th century French poet by the name of Charles, or maybe... Charles, Charles Baudelaire, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, it's translating from a French poem. He basically says, the devil's finest trick is to persuade you that he does not exist. Mm. And so it's no plus on the part of the satanic temple in that it claims that it doesn't hold to or promote the idea of a personal devil that that's in any way better, that it can make it any way virtuous or less dangerous than someone getting involved in occultic practices and magic arts and so on like that. As I said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and all Satan cares about is if you're on that broad way rather than the narrow path where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I think that verse is so important to remember that Jesus is the truth 
And as we go through some of the information about the Satanic Temple, like what they believe in, what they're trying to teach in these after-school clubs is not truth. And it's so deceiving. And I know we were talking about this earlier, babe, that that's how Satan worked from the very beginning. He was deceiving Adam and Eve and making them believe that they could be something and trying to trick them out of what the truth was. And to me, that's kind of a little bit scarier with this type of club than a more blatant yeah, we're like a satanic temple that worships Satan, or we have these like rituals that we do. I mean, that one's a little more straightforward in some ways. And I feel like these clubs, just after reading so much of this, that they're just blatantly deceiving. And I think that, like you said, it's just going to lead many astray. And that's where we as Christians need to come in. We have to pray and fight against this spiritual battle that's going on. Definitely, sweetheart. And whether or not someone believes or purports to believe in a personal Satan, the end is the same, which is anti-Christ teachings and a man-centered ideology. So, yes, secular humanism itself is ultimately, in the end, just as satanic as witchcraft just as the prophet Samuel, who said rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And so, yes, sure, there's huge dangers in actual like, incantations and black arts. But in the grand scheme of things, when you're looking at the truth of the Bible, anything that is in opposition to God is just the same as witchcraft. So, what does the Satanic Temple promote? So, every religious organization, as they claim to be, for the purpose of recognition by law as protected religious organization, the Satanic Temple is going to have their tenants. And, of course, as we read these, they're not going to just jump off the page as, oh, I can't believe how evil that sounds. Like, they're going to sound innocuous. There's going to be some truth to them, as we see, and that's one of the points of Satanism, is to appropriate and sabotage the truth. So, they have seven tenets. Number one is, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Now, we could pick at this, but on its face, you read those words. Is there any word in there that would seem wrong? Yeah. I mean, you can look at the nuances of defining each word and, okay, well, why the word reason or stuff like that? But on its face, you read this and even a Christian would read that and think, okay, that sounds good. Next tenet. <laughs> Number two. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. And, yeah, that sounds good, because we think of back in the 1800s where slavery was institutionalized. It was legal, but the struggle for justice is ongoing and necessary, even against laws that might be unjust. And so that sounds good. Hey, maybe this Satanism is not so bad after all. <laughs> Reading these tenets here. Number three, one's body is 
inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Now, here's one where, okay, there's some truth to that, but if you push it to its absolute limits, then we see how it's applied, especially this particular tenet, number three, becomes part of a ritual that they would have people do for abortion. And so, when we recognize the God of the Bible, we are not absolutely autonomous. There's a degree that we could recognize we're created in the image of God as individuals, and we have a certain degree of autonomy, but that autonomy is subject to God's law. And so, you know, there is no absolute individual autonomy in that sense. You know, there's kind of a half strike there, I guess. <laughs> Number four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Pretty much okay with that. Um, Now, saying the freedom to offend, we would recognize that as the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, the right to free speech, recognizing that offensive speech is protected legally and ought to be protected legally because if you censor or suppress speech, you could be censoring truth and stuff. Now, this particular tenet doesn't seem to answer any kind of higher moral question of, well, just because I might have the legal freedom to do something offensive that doesn't make it morally right to be offensive. So this is another one of those, okay, it's partially true, but if you don't recognize absolute truth, absolute truth should guide someone's use of the right to free speech. Tenet number five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. (laughs) here's another one where it's like we could easily just say oh this one is really bad there's like another half truth to that because christians we recognize that science comes from god there is an actual scientific truth God created the world, God created the universe with natural laws that govern the celestial bodies. There's science that is observable, testable, and demonstrable. But people can be misguided or ignorant or misinformed about something and claim that that's science. Mm -hmm. So unless you have an absolute truth, it's hard to evaluate whether you're truly following this tenet, (laughs) if that makes sense. And I think it's interesting, too, because from like a creationist and faith-based view of science... (laughs) those two complement each other. Yes. Like you see over and over in scriptures where it kind of reaffirms what science (laughs) discovers or sometimes people will look at the Bible and be like, oh yeah, the Bible said that all along. And I think that this kind of is saying more towards the modernist view Mm. that they have to try and stretch and tweak science to fit their view of there's no God. So I think it's just interesting that they're putting that statement on there because when you really dig into it, 
it's more of a tenant for their side of it that they have to twist the science to fit their beliefs or mm. twist their beliefs to fit science. Yes, because yeah. as Christians, if we reflect on the Bible, there's verses in the Bible. It's the Word of God. The Bible doesn't provide room for God to be an if. <laughs> so we recognize the necessity of presuppositional understanding of the existence of God. The Bible is the word of God. The God of the Bible necessarily exists. And this tenet denies that by trying to understand a purely material, secular, humanistic understanding of science. And we recognize that everyone has a worldview and your goals with science or your understanding of science will be affected by your worldview. It's impossible to have a purely non-worldview understanding of science. <laughs> And also tenet number five is part of that abortion ritual. So we understand that the satanic temple has a very religious view of this and very wrong view evidenced by their abortion ritual in using this tenet for that. So they'd have the wrong understanding of human life, the unborn. Tenet number six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. This one seems like 100% there. People are fallible. The Bible definitely teaches that. And to rectify your mistakes, and that sounds compatible with the truth. So score on this one, it seems. So I think this tenet is interesting because one of their issues with the good news clubs is that those clubs teach that people are sinful and people tend to do wrong things. Yes. But their tenant right here is saying that. Yeah. So, so the words of this tenet can be read in such a way that it's completely true. But mm -hmm. it depends on how one understands harm or mistake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if the satanic temple believes that teaching Christianity is harming someone, then that would make this one false, <laughs> mm -hmm. even if the words uh, on itself make it true. Mm -hmm. And now finally, tenet number seven, every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility and in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay. All those rules or tenets we just gave, yeah. <laughs> like... You don't have to follow any of them as long as you're doing anything with compassion or wisdom in the spirit of that. Yeah, so it's almost like it's refuting the other tenets in a way to like, okay, we've written out these tenets, but kind of recognize that it's impossible to have exact words that reflect perfectly truth. Now, of course, language has problems and stuff, but... <laughs> it's almost like it cancels out because we just can't really know for certain that we've accurately written down what we're intending to convey. So just make sure you just guide yourself by nobility and compassion and wisdom and stuff. And don't hold yourself to the letter of the law as we've written it down. So it's just basically the last one is, okay, 
we gave some principles, but we're actually just going to say that moral relativism is the best. Yes. <laughs> and of course, obviously, that intrinsically denies the idea that you can have the Word of God, perfect written down words that are the supreme authority. Mm-hmm. I think as parents, we assume that kids are going to just know the right way to do things. You have to train them by teaching them to do it over and over again until they actually get it. This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. So those are the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple, and as I said, we can dissect them and stuff, but on average, on the whole, we can give them props that they said a lot of good stuff. But that does end up posing a problem, and it demonstrates the tactics of Satan. Satan is the Antichrist, not by being overtly, obviously, in every respect, the exact opposite of Christ, but Antichrist claims to be Christ, but tries to get you to doubt the real Christ and the legitimacy of the real Christ by being, you know, close but no cigar, <laughs> or whatever, you know, okay, as I said, appropriate and sabotage the truth. So for some reason, this verse just came to mind when you're talking about that. So it's the verse that says, greater is he that is in me than he is that in the world. Is that in First John, maybe? And like Satan's like a roaring lion yeah. going to and fro. That first Peter. Seeking who he made devour. <laughs> yes. I just, like, I remember the song of it is mostly what I remember. So. <laughs> so when I was younger and even just tonight, I was thinking about when you're thinking of a roaring lion seeking to and fro who he may devour, you're thinking of this loud, <laughs> kind of made known lion, but that's not how lions mm. hunt. Yes. <laughs> lions hunt by sneaking, yes. being very quiet, being very still, blending in with their surroundings until an animal is like unknowingly close by mm. and there's that lion waiting there to just trample on that deer mm. or whatever the prey is. And yeah. that's how Satan works. And this is what it just reminds you of that first. Like, okay, this group is working in this very deceitful, very discreet way of trying to lure in our children. Yes. These are elementary school kids that they're going to. We say, oh, let's send our kids to school. Let the schools teach them. And we are not aware of everything that the schools are teaching our kids. And now we have these other groups that have the purpose of teaching against truth and teaching against what God's word says. And like our poor kids, this is just another consequence of us not being aware of what God tells us to do as parents and as leaders in our home and even in the community. I understand not everyone can be homeschoolers, but mm. there has to be something different. <laughs> yeah, as parents, be involved in your kids' education, try to know what they're being taught. And of course, in the case of this, what after-school programs might be because you never know, you know, your kids might eventually end up being taught by the satanic temple. 
Now, as we went through the tenets, I want a quick look at the Satanic Temple's abortion ritual, which quotes some of these tenets. So the abortion ritual in particular, first I thought it was something like you perform an abortion to become a member, but that's actually not the case. This is a ritual that someone would do before they get an abortion or in the process of getting an abortion. So I looked on the site like for their medical center. And so they have the ritual, which is something, it's kind of more of something to say to help with your mindset. So they say something to the effect of many people, when they're going to get an abortion, they have anxiety or whatever, for whatever reason. But this is where I think the satanic temple can get pretty evil here because the ritual is to alleviate the anxiety of someone before getting an abortion by making them feel like they're doing nothing wrong. They're exercising their right to do this. So they start off, like I saw on a PDF document describing the ritual, is like they had a table there. Okay, if you're going to get a chemical abortion, you could do it this way, this variant of it. If you're getting a surgical abortion, do it this way. Both of them, they start off like focus on yourself, get a mental image of yourself, or look at yourself in the mirror, like see a reflection of yourself. So trying to focus on yourself and psych yourself up to realize like, I don't have to be anxious about this. I know that people can feel guilty, but there's no reason to feel guilty about it. So how do you eliminate the unnecessary anxiety of this that's probably culturally imposed on you? Recite the third tenet, which one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. That's supposed to help you realize, okay, I'm not really doing anything wrong because I'm. this is just my body here. You recite the fifth tenet, which you said was about evaluating things based on science. So this is where it's interpreting the idea of scientific understanding and don't distort scientific facts to fit beliefs. Recognizing that you're performing an abortion is perfectly in line with a scientific understanding of things. And then you recite the personal affirmation, which is, by my body, my blood, by my will, it is done. So then, okay, now I could do this. I've said these things that should help me to get rid of all the guilt and focusing on myself, my rights. This is okay. There is just nothing wrong with this. I'm just doing something to myself. So this is where we say the evil appropriation of what would seem like perfectly reasonable words in the tenets to treat abortion as if there's nothing wrong with it. And that's how Satan works. So I think it's kind of interesting because I know we talked about this earlier on with the lawsuit that the Satanic Temple is putting out against Texas in their ban on abortion. But I mean, earlier on, the Satanic Temple is actually saying that abortion was part of their ritual for their members. Yeah, which seems like the whole purpose of them creating this and calling it a ritual for preparing for an abortion is to claim, well, if you outlaw abortion, you're in effect outlawing a ritual that's a religious right of our religious organization. So, you know, you're violating our religious rights because someone can't perform this personal 
personal affirmation in the process of getting an abortion if they can't get an abortion. I think it's kind of like a backdoor way to try to fight for abortion rights for the Satanic Temple by creating a ritual a verbal ritual to alleviate guilt to do an abortion, but at the same time claiming that it's a religious ritual. So I think it's really disturbing. They've been um, really fighting about trying to get abortions available to people in the state of New Mexico. And they have recently opened a telehealth clinic that they called... The Samuel Alito's Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic. And, I mean, they even have, like, a comic about Samuel Alito's mom saying, like, she wished that she could have had, like, abortions were legal when she was pregnant with him. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, just very sick and disturbing. And their push is for getting the abortion pills to people who um, need abortion in states that have banned abortion. And right now they're successfully offering that in the state of New Mexico. So, Mm. yeah, they definitely have an agenda of pushing the pro-abortion. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that the satanic temples kind of propaganda that, okay, well, they have the ritual here, they're a religious organization. So anything that bans abortion is, in a sense, violating the religious rights so that therefore somehow that's a way of making abortion accessible in any state where it's outlawed by saying, well, that can't work against us. And no one has to be technically a member of the Satanic Temple organization to perform our rituals. And so therefore it's kind of like, uh, sorry, there's just no real way to outlaw this if you're going to accept the uh, idea of religious liberties. And I read that even some like pro-abortion people were criticizing the satanic temple like sorry this just isn't gonna work you know (laughs) as much as you know you think this is a cool way to get abortion rights there's just no way this is gonna stand up in court so we've been kind of talking about how the satanic temple has very deceitful ways of denying god denying truth And so what are some of the devices Satan uses to deceive us? Yeah, so I think that it's helpful as we're kind of looking at, and we read the tenets, we see that there's a lot of reasonable truth to it. Of course, they can be twisted and misuse the words there, but for the most part, you can see a lot of even Christian virtue that you can read from those words. That makes it dangerous. <laughs> and so, yes, as the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians 2.11 said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's look at some devices of Satan. So the first device of Satan is that Satan operates discreetly. So he has discreet operations. And Jesus made that clear in a parable of the kingdom 
If you've read the parable of the wheat and the tares, and this is one of two parables that Jesus actually explains what the, the analogies are to his disciples. So in Matthew 13, verse 39, he mentions that the tares are sowed among the wheat, and they look somewhat indistinguishable from the wheat until t- toward the end of the harvest. So as time goes by and you start to see you know, toward the harvest wait this isn't wheat that's how satan can operate jesus said the enemy that sowed them the tares among the wheat is the devil the harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels so the tares can be among the wheat it can look like wheat if you don't look at it with discernment and that's one of satan's devices to operate discreetly and we read those tenets, the satanic temple tries to pitch itself as a legitimate religious organization, but promoting only materialistic secular humanism, but their tenets are trying to show like, hey, we have the ultimate morality, and a lot of this morality you'll see in other religions, but we don't have the baggage or the exclusivity or the impingement because <laughs> you know we're not trying to proselytize we're not trying to force people to do things that would violate a basic secular humanistic kind of atheistic libertarian concept of human virtue another device of satan is man-centeredness so this device of satan is to get us to think of virtue in a way that is centered on mankind as the kind of the focal point of evaluating virtue like if it makes sense or if it satisfies our moral curiosities then that's what's true rather than thinking in terms of a higher absolute authority that would come from god so in matthew 16 verse 23 This is where Jesus tells the disciples that he has to be put to death and on the third day rise again. Now, Peter's thinking in terms of human necessity and human morality. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter was trying to tell Jesus, No, far be it from you. Do not do this. And humanistically speaking, why would this have to happen? There's no reason for this. There's got to be a way to do good and not have to be killed and rise from the dead. Or So Jesus says, Thou art an offense or a stumbling block to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So if you're just thinking from a man-centered perspective, like don't give yourself up to people who are going to physically punish you and kill you. Think in terms of a man-centered concept of establishing a kingdom on earth. But Jesus later in a few verses, he says, verse 26, for what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So you don't evaluate morality and success from a man-centered perspective. You have to think from a God-centered perspective. And when you think from a God-centered perspective, that definitely doesn't make sense to the secular humanist understanding of morality. Well, that interview I was listening to with Lucian. Lucian, yes. I keep wanting to call him Lucian. (laughs) (laughs) 
he would point out a few times that with their view, there is no like spiritual world. It's all just the physical, like what is seen. And so there isn't this thought of eternity or, you know, where will you spend eternity that the Christian view brings. And he said that part of the Christian view bringing that to people is that's one of their scare tactics Mm -hmm. and how they talk about, you know, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, that you'll spend eternity in hell. And he's like, well, but there is no such thing as eternity or the spiritual world like that. So they're just trying to scare people into following their beliefs and stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. But you see throughout scripture that there is that spiritual world and eternity does exist. Mm -hmm. And if we don't understand that, then we are going to be lost forever. Yeah, because as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 about if Christ be not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain and, you know, let us eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the pagan humanistic philosophy that the satanic temple would have you believe. And that ultimately results in nihilism, which nihilism, of course, would just totally discount any kind of premise of, hey, we can even have tenants. We can even claim to have any kind of moral good. So without the truth of the Bible, there is no way to avoid nihilism, I would say, from a presuppositional understanding of truth. Ever wish you could get together with a friend over coffee each week and talk about God's Word? Me too. Hi, I'm Anthony Russo. I'm the host of Grace and Peace Radio. Grace and Peace Radio is a Christian living blog and podcast dedicated to engaging conversations about applying God's Word to everyday life. I hope you'll join me, Anthony Russo, on Grace and Peace Radio each week at graceandpeaceradio.com or right here on the christianpodcastcommunity.org. So another way that we can see some of the devices Satan uses is through the deception of good, which I think this is probably one of the main ones that he does, because if we don't understand good and evil, Mm. then you don't understand your need for a savior. Yes. So in John 6, verse 70, Jesus says to his disciples, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. This is referring to Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas Iscariot being a devil, that doesn't mean he wandered all around proclaiming all hail mighty Satan and casting spells on people. He wasn't obviously evil. In fact, Judas Iscariot tried to demonstrate that he had a moral compass that was superior to Jesus in a way. Yeah, he looked at like his good works and what he was trying to do, that that was what defined him as being good. And Satan used that to lead him down the path to finally betray Jesus. And so as we go through like John 12 verses 4 through 8, it talks about how Judas was kind of getting frustrated about how they were treating the poor. (laughs) And And this was, I'm trying to remember, was it Mary Magdalene Mm -hmm. who uh, had that 300 pence worth ointment that she poured on Jesus' feet? Now, of course, to a secular humanist, you're going to think like Judas Iscariot here. Like, why are you wasting that expensive ointment on Jesus when we could have sold that and used it for the poor? 
And then in verse six, he says this, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and spare what was put therein. Then Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. So Jesus is proclaiming an absolute truth there. It had to do with who he is and that something can be virtuous and true that doesn't make sense to a secular humanist understanding. Judas looks at this and he comes up with a moral question about this. This is a waste, but Jesus recognizes she's doing this because she recognizes who I am and what I'm doing and my salvation that will be necessary for taking care of sin which is defined as violations of God's law and the sacrifice of Jesus how that saves people so if you don't understand that yeah it looks like a waste why would someone waste that and put on someone's feet to be cleaned off the floor later I love how Jesus he was so kind to Judas like when you (laughs) understand what was going on it was like wow, he still had like that compassion for him and just even his response to this, like for the poor always ye have with me, but ye have not always. Like he's helping Judas turn his focus from Hmm. the here and now, like we need to do good things to, all right, let's look at the eternal perspective here. (laughs) That's a neat way to think about how God interacts with us. Like sometimes we can get so focused on, but I need to do this good thing. I need to do this. And we kind of lose that perspective of, okay, but wait, what really matters eternally? And I think that that's one of that deceitful ways that the satanic temple is trying to lure people into thinking is that you do need to focus on the here and now. You need to focus on, oh, you should have sold that oil for the money to give to the poor. Like, I mean, that sounds so good. Like, and that's distracting from the eternal thing. And if you're so distracted with that and you never accept Christ as your Savior, then that soul is lost for eternity. And so that's one of the ways that Satan is using this temple to deceive people. It's taking care of the poor is a good and biblical thing, but it must be done for biblical reasons. Because we'll talk about when we continue our revival series and we talk about John Wesley, that was one of his defining characteristics was taking care of poor people, but he did it in the name of Jesus Just as Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, good works must be done with the purpose of recognizing God, Jesus Christ. If it's not, it's really meaningless because there is no meaning to anything outside of the truth of God and his word. And there's a verse too that I was just thinking of. If we don't understand like God's love for us, how do we love other people? Mm. So even though these tenets sound nice and then they sound like they're helping other people, but if they don't have the love of Christ in them, they're really not loving these mm. other people. Definitely. So you are. And then finally, the last device of Satan is to get people to believe in this myth of neutrality. 
the myth that there is such a thing that you can justify, whether directly or indirectly, a secular humanistic philosophy, that it's good or even okay to operate without God being necessary. So Psalm 14 verse 1 says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And yes, that verse, you know, it'd be like throwing ice water at the satanic temple because, hey, if they claim that there is no God, they're fools. And presuppositionally, this statement, what about this statement? It says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So, If God does not exist, then this statement is foolish. This statement must be evaluated for what it says. Now, if God doesn't exist, then this statement is 100% wrong, and it itself would be foolish. But if God doesn't exist, how can we even define what foolish is? (laughs) We can't. There is no meaning to foolish if there is no God. And so, therefore, this statement must be true, and therefore, everything that follows it would then be true. And there's none that doeth good, what the satanic temple would try to claim. You can be good by following the tenets, or at least the guiding principles of them. Jesus didn't say, hey, as long as you just do good, all I care about is are you taking care of the poor or whatever in secular humanism can be good as long as it has good results and that's all that religion really is. Well, he said, he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So you must be a disciple of Jesus, period. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. There is no neutrality. You can't be not for him and not against him at the same time. There's no middle ground here. There is no neutrality. You must be a disciple of Jesus, period, for truth to be truth. So one of the ways that we can combat the spiritual battle is laid out very descriptively and I love the picture of this, but in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12, where it's talking about the armor of God, we're fighting a spiritual battle. Remember in Ephesians, it's talking about that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He isn't going to throw noodles at you. (laughs) It says in verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. So it's an all-out battle. Like He's going to attack anywhere, everywhere he can. And he looks for that weak spot in the armor to go. And just like we were talking about that verse earlier, he's like a prowling lion. Like he's looking for the opportunity to attack the prey. And if we're not standing and putting on the armor of God, we're not reading his word, we're not praying, we're not equipping ourselves to stand against this battle, then we are going to fall and he's going to find those weak spots. And like to me, it's just so disheartening that the weak spots they're finding right now are our children. 
Mm. through abortion, through getting into schools and teaching our young children that there is no right or wrong. There is no God. You can be whatever gender you want to be. I mean, there's so much evil going on. And we as parents are just sitting back and letting that take place. When are we going to stand up for our children? Hmm. They need us to stand up for them. One last verse that I was thinking of that differentiates Christianity from the deceitfulness of the Satanic Temple is we have freedom in Christ. Yes. And I think that was one kind of disheartening thing that I saw throughout the Satanic Temple information was that they keep trying to accuse Christianities as like manipulating mm-hmm. or putting fear into people or oppressing them with this, like kind of putting them in bondage. Mm-hmm. But the Bible says in John eight thirty six, if the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So in Christ, we have freedom and will be free indeed, it says. There is no other freedom that's guaranteed like that in any other religion. And I think that that's where there's so much hope and joy and comfort and peace that we know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, can give us that freedom. Amen, sweetheart. The Apostle Paul also says, where the, the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So people who are enslaved when they don't realize that they're in bondage. The truth of Christianity, you have to realize that you're in bondage without Jesus, without his person and work on your behalf without his sacrificial death, without recognizing there is such a thing as sin, and that there is a literal personal Satan who wants to ensnare you. And so we looked at devices of Satan and how they can be deceptive. And with the Satanic Temple organization, it doesn't matter one whit that they don't believe in a personal Satan. And it's basically some ways a religious organization front to promote secular humanism. That is one of the dangers and one of the tactics of Satan there. So, yes, one of the tricks of Satan is to get people to believe he doesn't exist. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode, that this episode is informative about Satan's devices. And as we looked at this growing organization called the Satanic Temple... We hope that you will stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.